Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're here today, it's to learn about the defense of no employment in New York workers' compensation cases. My name is Greg Lois. I'm the managing partner of Lois LLC. And I'm joined today by Nidhi Chate, who's an associate in our New York workers' compensation defense practice. Uh, this is totally a live uh, webinar. Let me just change this because all I can see is that webcam. Hold on a second. Give me one second. I just want to minimize this because it's taking up our whole screen. There we go. Hopefully you can still see us. Am I getting the big thumbs up over there? Yes. Great. Okay. Uh, as you can tell, this is 100% totally live. Uh, please feel free to ask us questions as we go through. Up on your screen right now is what your little question box looks like if you're uh, following along on a computer. Please feel free to type us questions. I can see them popping up here on my display. And at the end, we'll answer as many questions as we possibly can. Now, our 12 o'clock session had just one question. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like the 3 o'clock session, I'd like to see a lot more questions out of you. Come on, people. I'm depending on you out there. All right. Uh, let's dive right into it. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the defense of lack of employment. Uh, next month, uh, in our May session, we'll be talking about all the other defenses, including notice, intoxication, going and coming, personal actions. We're we'll talking about all the other general legal defenses. Um, these first two months of our uh, webinar series are going to focus on defenses because you know in New York, if there's an accident and we don't do anything about it, it's going to be found compensable. So let's talk briefly about what the definition of an, of an employee is in New York so we can tell you when it's time to deny employment and put the claimant to their proofs in that respect. Right. So an employee under the workers' compensation law is someone who provides services um, to an entity that operates for business, um, for profit, um, not like um, not a nonprofit, even though they may not have any profits. Right. Um, you could be losing money but still have employees. Yeah. So it could be um, it could be a corporation. It could be a partnership, an LLC. You know, it could even be the municipality. It could be, um, you know, anything, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. um, now, employees can include uh, student interns, can include sole proprietors if they elect to be covered by workers' compensation. That is the only real election out of the workers' compensation system that is going to be allowed or condoned by the courts. Uh, even illegal employees... Uh, those employees who are perhaps maybe pre-citizens, they're undocumented, they mm -hmm. have no working papers, they can still be found to be an employee in the state, including day laborers. Uh, let's talk briefly about the types of people who are not employees in general. Um, so independent contractors are not employees, volunteers. Um, truckers may also fall under the independent contractor um, category, depending on whether they have their own bill of lading or department of transport number. Um, and then there's also like people, uh, people, you know, the clergy, um, family members of farmers, uh, things like that. They might be considered not employees. Right. Um, yeah. And those are statutory exceptions. I mean, they're yeah. literally carved out of the employment statute. Uh, New York also recognizes the potential for there to be two employers at the same time of a single employee. And that can happen in circumstances such as Lent employees. Uh, for example, 
employees that are from a staffing company that are lent uh, to another employer, uh, situations where there is a contractor who may be controlling and directing the activities of subcontractors on a, on a general work site, uh, anyone who directs and controls the employees of another. Uh, in all those circumstances, there can be found to have dual employment. And that's different. Uh, in, in that circumstance, both employers could have workers' compensation exposure. Um, all right, let's talk about a situation where we've already told you is an exclusion, and that would be independent contractors. So I think um, when, when we look at um, the exception of independent contractors not being employees, the most important factor to consider is control. So whether the, so the you know, there would be two businesses and whether the, the, the business who has the who claims that this the claimant is an independent contractor would have con any kind of control over the hours they work, you know, um, where they need to perform their functions, things like that. Um, and then we also look at the character of the work performed. So, for example, if the main business is a retail, and then the independent contractor is somebody who comes and fixes their computers, for example. Um, he could do that remotely, and they, the retail people don't have to tell him to come in to, you know, into the store to fix it. It's also a very unique and very separate business from actually retail. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. In such, in the same example, they would bring their own um, equipment, mm -hmm. right? They'd have their own computers, their own wires, whatever, whatever they need. Uh, whereas, if you actually worked in a store, the store would give you. They might even give you an, a uniform, right? Right. Um, and then finally, in construction, especially in, this would be it would be applicable in construction where they have their own permits. Right. right? Yeah, they're operating under their own authority, essentially. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, factors we would look into when we're determining if someone's an independent contractor. And we're going to do some examples now. And in fact, there is going to be an example of an independent contractor. So let's let's jump right into the examples. We've got a couple little videos here. Hi, Greg. This is Joey from the warehouse. Sarah just got hurt here because she was not following our safety rules. Can she file a worker's compensation claim? Okay, and in this example, we have a business owner contacting us, their friendly workers' compensation defense attorneys at law, <laughs> and saying, hey, we just had an accident in the factory. Uh, Nitty, uh, this uh, worker uh, wasn't following our rules. She got injured. I think that because of her not following our rules, she's no longer my employee. I want to deny this case. What do you think? Um, I don't. I, I think maybe another defense would be more applicable at this point, but not a no employment defense because clearly she was, she got employed while she was working for you. She was working for you. At, she was on your premise, right? right yeah. The, there could be other there could be other defenses like horseplay intoxication whatever whatever you ha you know you would like to try but i don't think that no i don't think you'd be very successful alleging no employment yeah i agree point. i feel like just because you're disobeying my rules doesn't mean you're not my employee anymore <laughs> yeah. sorry that one doesn't work here's a more common example before our new lag tech even filled out his new hire paperwork and before he punched in he was burned by a bunsen burner can he file a worker's compensation claim So here's an example, and, and I've got this question posed to me many times over the years. Brand new employee, Greg, first day, just starts on the job, 
just came into the location. Uh, of course, these are the, exactly the types of employees who maybe don't know where the unsafe areas of the workplace are, or where mm -hmm. the barriers are, or the boundaries. And they got hurt immediately, Greg. They didn't even like punch in yet. They didn't even fill out their paperwork. Uh, Greg, can I deny this case? Is it compensable? Um, you, it is compensable because you hired them. They, right. they, they were in that location because they showed up for work. Right. Um, so again, you could try another type of defense, but lack of employment wouldn't hold up in this situation. Yeah, 100% agree. I don't think that we're going to prevail. Might want to raise it just so we can, you know, maybe position the case for Section 32. Yeah. But I still don't see this thing working out. Uh, work, I think that's going to end up being found mm -hmm. an employee and the injury to arise out of the course of the employment. All right, next example. The holidays are a busy time for us. We hire temporary workers to handle the overflow. Are they entitled to workers' compensation benefits? This is a fairly common example. Uh, we've got perhaps a retail establishment. It's the holiday season. They know there's going to be a big rush. They hire a, a big group of seasonal workers to help them uh, check people out and wrap up packages and all the mm -hmm. other things they do. I get an injury to a temporary, a seasonal worker, somebody I know I'm going to fire them in three weeks. I know that they're going to be off my payroll. Mm -hmm. uh, Greg, is this compensable? It is compensable. It doesn't matter whether they're you know, they, they work part-time or they're seasonal or any uh, temporary. Uh, it, all these things don't matter. What matters is they got injured while they were working for you. They were, they were there because they, they had employment with you, and that's what automatically makes the in injury uh, compensable. Yep, I 100% agree. All right, let's start to get into some more difficult ones here. After the accident, we learned this employee did not have working papers. Can he still file a claim? All right, so here's an example where we have an employee. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're on the mm -hmm. books. Look at this guy. He's even wearing his safety helmet. He's got his safety vest on. He's doing everything right. He gets electrocuted or zapped while he's mm -hmm. working by accident. Uh, he's injured. And lo and behold, the employer now comes forward and says, wait a second, Greg. This guy uh, was an undocumented migrant, had no working status in this country, had no working papers. Ha ha, I don't want to pay workers comp, right? You know, I'm sorry that, that you hired this guy, but he, he did get injured while he was working for you. I wish workers' compensation acknowledged immigration status, but it really doesn't. You, as long as he was working for you, you know, you, You're you stuck have, with it. Yeah, you yeah. have to deal with it. 100% agree. And I think that the reason for this is even though the employee couldn't possibly have the legal status to do that job, and that will come into play when we talk mm -hmm. about loss of wage earning capacity, et cetera, um, the board, the workers' compensation board, our statutes, our law, the case law does not want to encourage employers to hire undocumented illegal workers uh, because, of course, we would just hire as many undocumented workers as we possibly could, let them get hurt, and then uh, move on with our lives. Um, so for that reason, uh, that's not going to be sustained by the board. All right, next example. We have a 16-year-old kid who collects the shopping carts. He got hurt while working. It turns out he had fake working papers. Can he file a claim? All right, and this is a question that's almost ripped from the headlines. I've had this case, and I've had it multiple times over the years. And an employee who holds himself out to be maybe 18 or mm -hmm. 19 or 20 is working full-time and full-duty for an employer, sometimes in a dangerous employment in which a child or a minor would be statutorily prohibited from doing the job. 
uh, the employer then finds out, oh, guess what? This person was a minor. I, they could never have worked here. I don't want to pay workers' compensation benefits. Yeah, you you know, isn't there a statute that says that they might have to pay t double if they hire a minor for a job that Correct. a minor is in? Yes. So you, you not only would you be responsible, you might have to pay double. Yeah, so statutorily, that is the penalty, exactly. It's, it's sad, but... <laughs> I do. I, I, I think this would be found compensable, and I think the employer would be on the hook for the penalty, even though the person presented fake working papers that said they were of age and could work. Mm -hmm. The board has determined, and there's case law that says there is no good faith basis uh, or any good faith defense to being presented with fake working papers, as crazy as that may seem. All right, uh, next example. We use a staffing company to supply our plant workers. If one of these lens employees gets hurt, can they file a claim against us? All right, and this example is that of a manufacturer or light industrial use, uh, using a staffing company to supply plant workers. All right, Nitty, if one of these Lent employees gets injured, can they bring a workers' compensation claim against the light industrial employer? Um, they could, but the, the claim would ultimately rest with the staffing company and then the the higher the light industrial employer could get um, reimbursed or seek uh, indemnification from them. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I think they could bring the case against both. They could bring a claim against mm -hmm. the staffing company because mm -hmm. that's their actual employer. Action. And then they could bring a claim, I think, against the uh, employer who is relying on that staffing company to provide workers. Ultimately, typically, or almost in, invariably, there is a a contract between the staffing company and the actual employer that says, hey, if you get found or determined to be the workers' comp employer and you have mm -hmm. to pay, we'll reimburse you. So that's how that generally goes. But yep, again, I think that uh, everybody has exposure in that one. All right, here's another one Here from the headlines. Might pay all the trainers on 1099s. None of them can file a workers' comp claim against me, right? All right, uh, and then in this example, this one I was actually asked, a gym owner says to me, Greg, all the people who work in my gym, I pay them on 1099, so I don't have to have workers' comp coverage for them, <laughs> right? Uh, what no. would you tell them, Nitty? <laughs> you uh, please have workers' co compensation coverage. Um, they're just, just because you pay them on a 1099, it doesn't make a difference. Workers' compensation doesn't recognize tax status, same way as immigration status. Um, and it comes up in a lot of other things, like um, when you're accounting for tips for AWR, for your average weekly wage, or things like that. Um, again, the tax forms come up, but they're not important. What's really important is the law, which says that if someone was injured while working, you're responsible. Right, particularly and, in this case, he's trying to, I think, characterize them as independent contractors yeah. by paying them on 1099s. But if the work they're doing is essentially the work of the employer, I don't think that flies. Right, and they're not bringing any of their own equipment. They might have to wear, um, you know, if you go to Gold's gym. The, oh, no, they're wearing uniforms. Wearing I mean, uniforms. there's nothing to indicate that they're independent yeah. workers. All right, uh, so again, I agree. Tax status has absolutely no bearing. The board is not going to care how you're paying the alleged employee. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about truck drivers. All of the drivers we use are independent contractors. They can't file a claim, right? All right, and in this example, we have uh, the trucking company owner saying, hey, all my drivers are independent contractors. I don't have to worry about workers' comp, right? Well, I mean, it depends, right? We'd have to look at the 
um, the personal files and see if they have their own DOT number, if they had um, a bill of lading, if they own their trucks, if they worked for multiple employers and not just the one employer. Um, we'd have to do a little bit of uh, digging and a little bit of analysis to actually give a definitive answer. Um, so in such a, it could be that he is an independent contractor and we hope that he is. Um, you could definitely raise the defense and we would encourage it. Yeah, I mean, this is one where we're gonna go case by case yeah. and see if we could be successful with that defense. All right, uh, same or similar circumstance. All these workers the on this construction site are not my employees. They are all independent contractors. That will hold up, right? And so here's the question from potentially a general contractor or the property or the person who's running the project saying, hey, everybody's on my site. They're all independent contractors. Nobody really works for me. Uh, or I've, I've had cases or circumstances where a general employer is basically saying that all of his employees, because they're skilled tradesmen, are independent contractors. Uh, Nitty, what kind of advice would you give them here? Um, well, maybe they are independent contractors, but if, if, if the person who's hired them in the first place doesn't have workers' compensation coverage, right, it goes up. Right, so if your subcontractors aren't covered, that coverage in New York is going to go up the chain, all the way up to the general contractor. Right. It's absolutely true. And just like with the transportation workers, I think we're going to be looking at case by case, like how independent worker were they? Did they bring their own materials, their own tools? Could you tell them when to start and stop? Or are you paying them by the job? I think that's how we're going to look at that and determine that status. Um, all right. We've been through a lot of examples now. I'm really hoping that we've got some great questions. Again, I always look forward to this 3 p.m. session to have better questions than my noon session. I think you guys are more awake after lunch. Let's see, all right. I see some questions here, one from Patrick. Uh, all right, so this is a long one, so I'm gonna read uh, 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 the information uh, that Patrick gave me. It looks like this uh, got split across because there was so much here. Um, Patrick says, we had a recent case. We controverted because it involved a company who has their own employees, but also outsources service calls to independent contractors. The independent contractors have their own tools, can refuse jobs, use their own vehicle, and are paid per call. In addition, they sign an agreement conceding that they are independent contractors. Uh, however, the Workers' Compensation Board and the board panel agreed uh, that the claimant was an employee as they only had one employer, which was uh, our client anything we could have done to mitigate against that finding. All right, so here's a great question because it really ties together, I think, a bunch of the concepts that we've talked about, right? Mm -hmm. First concept is you've got the employer or the alleged employer. They have some part of their business function, which if you ask me, and in the context you've given me here, is a utility company. I'm just going to say that. I'm not going to say any names or anything more specific. Um, you've got a utility company that's outsourcing all the service to repair the utility or provide the service to an outside company. Right. But really, it's all the same business. I actually think the workers' compensation law judge is sort of saying, well, this person can have water, gas, cable, whatever the utility is, without the service actually delivering it to them. And even if you outsource that to another uh, alleged independent contractor, it's really the same business. Right. I think the workers' compensation law, law probably does have good legal footing to stand on. Now, in this case, uh, what you've also told us is even though they have their own tools, they can refuse jobs, use their own vehicle, and are paid per call, they only have one client, which is that one utility mm -hmm. company which is one of those uh, instances that we talked about where we said, look, 
is this is this truck driver doing the trucking for many entities? Are we providing mm -hmm. the services to many other people? Am I holding myself out as a truly independent business? We're not. And I think for those reasons that that could have gone either way. So it's an interesting, interesting uh, question. I see um, Gene asks then another question. Uh, what if the undocumented worker does not have a social security number? How do you pay benefits? Well, it's interesting. You don't need a social security number in our system to pay someone workers' compensation benefits. Uh, it's a little bit ridiculous if you ask me. Uh, the other part of that is it's really hard to get information uh, and do a proper CIBISO claim search, look into their claims history, even get medical records for somebody who doesn't have a valid social security number. Um, as of this month, uh, no, as of last month, as of March 2018, Social Security is not even issuing Social Security numbers anymore. They're uh, issuing um, MCM uh, medical claim numbers, oh, wow. which is going to replace Social Security numbers because even with they're seeing the problem with they're being reused and 18 people on the same Social Security number, et cetera. So even the idea of the Social Security number is going away in general. But you're uh, unfortunately, Gene, uh, undocumented workers that don't have Social Security numbers, it's a problem for us on the discovery and disclosure side. It's not a problem for them in getting benefits. All right, let's skip down. Patrick has the second question. I'm going to skip and go to Kim's. Uh, what about independent contractor with false or later lapsed coverage of their workers' compensation insurance, which impacts the general contractor after the fact work injury? So that's pretty complicated, but you're really talking here about an independent contractor who has lapsed coverage, and then maybe they've left the job site and now report the loss post-job ending, and it's going against the general contractor's coverage. Yeah, I think certainly I would be disputing employment in that circumstance. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, first of all, it sounds rather willful that they're waiting until the job is over, et cetera, before they bring in the case. Uh, but uh, in that circumstance, I think that you'd want to take a really hard look as to whether or not you can characterize that employment as truly independent or not. Um, I'm going to do one last question here, and this is the question from Patrick. Uh, under what circumstances does a volunteer become an employee? I understand they are given money, they are not volunteers, but if no remuneration can receive non-monetary benefits. That's correct. So uh, what you're talking about here is a distinction between uh, someone who's working for pecuniary gain or somebody who's a volunteer. Our system does not compensate volunteers. Of course, they can get medical benefits, medical yeah. treatment, uh, but not money. Uh, and uh, that's what the board's going to look at. Did they do this thing for pay? Uh, was the employment for profit? Whether or not they actually made a profit or not, not important, uh, but was it a profit-seeking uh, entity? All right. Uh, that's some questions. Thanks. You guys did have more questions than our morning session. That was great. <laughs> uh, great job. If there's any more questions or we didn't get to your question, please feel free to email us and we'll certainly get to it. Uh, next month, please join us. Our topic next month is going to be common defenses. We're going to be looking at things like going and coming room rule, intoxication defense, notice defenses, all the other defenses that we didn't talk about today. Thank you very much for joining us. Have a great week. Bye, everybody.